and we are live. Welcome to the Untitled Sports Podcast. By the time you guys might list, might be listening, we might have another name, but for now, uh, we are still thinking about our name. Uh, my name is Ian Cartwright. I am a Virginia Tech fan, uh, and I met my co-host at Central Michigan University. So Sam, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey, what's going on? Uh, my name is uh, Samuel Hankinson. I am a Michigan fan, first and foremost, and uh, me and my co-host Ian are bonded by our mutual love or perhaps lack of love for the Central Michigan University football team. Yes, uh, terrible football team. I've only been to like three games in the four years that I've been there, and I haven't probably watched a snap at any of those games. Um, we wanted to make this podcast because every time that we – are together that we see each other we just talk about sports and we just have these super long conversations and I always feel like I wish I would have recorded the conversation or if we would have had it for later on that would have been nice maybe we should be make a podcast whatever so this is more so for us than for anything else and um, we're just looking to see where it goes so with that being said I am a Virginia Tech fan I have a Virginia Tech podcast as well called Don B Fridays you can check that out had a couple of guests on there soon. Plug in the podcast early on. <laughs> right from the jump. Right from the jump. Right from the jump. Um, so yeah, uh, I have a bit, I've been a Virginia Tech fan my entire life. Uh, kind of started by just playing NCAA. I used Tech in there. And um, obviously they used to be a lot better than they are now. Uh, we will get more in depth on Tech later on. But, you know, obviously, Sam, uh, I know where your Michigan fandom stamp comes from, but why don't you let the other people know where it stems from? So, you know, growing up, I really didn't have a preference for, you know, Michigan or Michigan State back home. Both of my parents and my immediate family all went to Central Michigan University. But, you know, being a directional school in Michigan, those schools are always going to be the 1B to the big players in the state. And, uh, you know, I naturally just kind of, flocked to the Wolverines over the Spartans been to uh, a lot of games in Ann Arbor was at the punt block game was at the Indiana game in the snow a couple of years ago and there's just something about Ann Arbor and the place that it holds in college football and college sports as a whole that just really draws me to that whole atmosphere and uh, Michigan is Michigan's up there oh yeah one of the uh one of the blue bloods considered uh, by some, maybe not anymore, but definitely been the history books. Um, shout out Desmond for uh, winning a Heisman. Anyways, uh, we're going to jump. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen my dad next to Rashawn Gary. He didn't there look like much of a dad uh, after that. Yeah. Your, your dad is uh, got a lot of connections with university of Michigan in general, <laughs> but uh, we're going to go ahead and get started here. So, uh, we have week zero coming up and the first matchup is Nebraska at Illinois. So what are we thinking here? I think it's going to be really interesting to see Illinois under Brett Bielema. You know, I feel kind of like Illinois under Lovey Smith, you know, Lovey Smith is a great coach, great NFL coach. I don't really think he fit very well in the college game. And I, I think agree. I think his I think his exit really showed showed that because people were very quick to talk about how he didn't prioritize talking to 
local high school coaches when he was at Illinois. And, you know, Illinois is a very interesting state when you look at college football or just college sports in general, because, you know, Chicago is such a big city and yet so there's so much of Illinois that's still, that's still out there, you know, the the other, the other Illinois, if you will. And so it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting to see kind of what the pulse of Illinois is, you know, even if they have a pulse, I don't really know if Nebraska is going to have a pulse either, but uh, Bielma could really get the, his uh, regime at Illinois started off uh, on a good note. If, they're able to beat Nebraska. Is this is this at uh, Nebraska or this at, is Illinois? at Illinois at one o'clock okay. on Fox? Now tune in. Yeah, I, I honestly think this is uh, the type of game that Nebraska can lose to start the season, and um, everybody else is going to be kind of thinking Nebraska is an absolute shit house, and I think it's coming. So I would not be surprised if Illinois ends up winning that game. Um, oh, 100%. but what do you think is the uh, you know, sort of the outlook for both of these teams. Are these, do any of these teams, what is their goal for the season? What would be a good season for like an Illinois or Nebraska? Well, have you been reading into uh, what's going on at at Nebraska? I have not. No, I, I guess they're, they're in the middle of some uh, NCAA violations, but honestly in that realm, you know, it's kind of in the same boat as Arizona State with, uh, you know, hosting, I believe it's like hosting workouts or something related to violating COVID protocol mm-hmm. last year. And, you know, honestly, at this point, you know, Scott Frost is the native son. But depending on how serious these allegations are, you know, his his uh, his time as the head coach could could come to an end here. Do you in think a very it's as simple as like it being a covid workout being like no that's the reason no 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 i i all i saw was they were in the news last week and it was not positive so you know maybe that gives kind of like tennessee did with jeremy pruitt maybe that gives them the out they need to move on Mm -hmm. and find somebody else but i i think a successful season for nebraska is absolutely a bowl game you know those those fans will be will be stoked right. with with much of any any progress on the field. But and is that do you think that's obtainable for them this year with their schedule? Do you think it's it's do you think them being above five hundred making a bowl game is going to happen more likely than it doesn't? Because if you take a look at their schedule and you know I think that they should be Illinois now. If they be Illinois or not is up in the air, but I think they should. Then they play Fordham and then Buffalo. So there's, they could start the season three and oh, um, then they played Oklahoma, probably going to get smashed. Uh, then Michigan state. That's a toss up in a way, just cause we don't really know what Michigan state's going to look like on the field. Uh, Northwestern, not really sure about that. Then Michigan, Minnesota, Purdue, Ohio state, Wisconsin, and Iowa. So you can find enough wins for a bowl game, but you can also find enough losses for not a bowl game. Yes. I am not sure uh, what's going to happen there, but if they lose this weekend, which is going to be an interesting opening game, then we're going to be looking at kind of a rough season for Nebraska fans. Yeah. Is Adrian Martinez still at Nebraska? I believe so. 
I feel like every quarterback that Nebraska's had has been there for like four or five years. Yeah, and he also had that crazy Heisman hype like two years ago. Yeah, because he came. He he was part of Frost's first recruiting class, and he was supposed to be the guy. Yeah, so he was uh, supposed to be more than the guy. I I remember him being like fifth on like betting odds for preseason Heisman, like right behind like a like Trevor Lawrence that season. That's wild. And it was and and then like. I think the first game of the season, they opened up against Ohio State or some somebody good, and he just shit the bed and played like played terrible, and that was out the door immediately. So, you know, if you're if you're a college football fan and you're in Nebraska, you got a pretty good home slate. You know, you're going to get Ohio State at home and Oklahoma at home. Mm-hmm. You, you might not want to look at the scoreboards in those games, but that's pretty exciting for a home slate. You know, not many not many uh, programs can say that they've Outside of maybe in the it's SEC, true. you're getting that kind of that kind of uh, away jerseys in there. So, yeah. And uh, coming from my perspective as a Tech fan, uh, we don't really get the opportunity to host teams of that caliber either. Uh, and that's kind of the reason why Tech has this sort of deal with Notre Dame, to where they're constantly going to South Bend and then having Notre Dame come play in Lane Stadium. Notre Dame is like usually the biggest team that they get to play at home, uh, you know, and obviously Miami's on the schedule all the time, but Miami really isn't as big as a Notre Dame in my opinion. Um, so that is good. I mean, and there's really nothing else to do in Nebraska anyways. So there's nothing else to, you know, go big red. Have to yeah, they were, fan. They, yeah. So I, I'd say, you know, I think Nebraska is going to be coming in with more hype but I think Illinois could steal that game, especially since since it's at home and Nebraska is kind of in a little mm-hmm. bit of dysfunction. You know, I I I could totally see Bielema eking out that that first win I over a pro, over a program that should beat them, but might not because of recent off the field developments. Yep, uh, Nebraska is seven point favorites in this game. Um, which is scary because seven, I hate seven point favorite games, but I can totally see Illinois covering that. Um, I feel like it can be a low scoring game. I feel like Illinois can win um, and they might. So, but anyways, we should probably move on to the next game, um, which is go back UConn at Fresno state. And that's at two o'clock on CBS um, not really anything interesting there. What do, what are your, what are your thoughts? I mean, Fresno State is like twenty-seven and a half point favorites on UConn, and they're probably going to smash them. I think UConn should opt out of twenty twenty-one. <laughs> think they should opt out of playing football and just stick to basketball. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a, it's a bummer to see because you know UConn went to a Fiesta Bowl. Mm-hmm. And I, not that, not consider in sometime in the 2000s. So not that long ago in our lifetime, the Huskies have been in a major bowl game. Yeah. And it, you know, it's just a bummer because you look at the state of football out East and there's just, there's just not a lot of promise out there. You know, UMass is kind of in that same boat as UConn, you know, Boston college is, I mean, we'll get to Boston College at some point. They're they're trending in the right direction, but 
I it's just inter- yeah. it's interesting to look at UConn and uh, and just see the trajectory of the program. It's it's disappointing. Well, I mean, okay, so say you're say you're a recruiting director, a coach at Connecticut. Uh, how do you how do you recruit kids? I mean, what's your pitch? I think that's the hardest part of some of these teams up in like the northeastern part is like what do they say to these kids? How do they how do they get kids to come? Uh, because I feel like their pitch is never going to be better than more than half of the rest of college football. Do you think, do you think UConn should run the triple? Um, it might be more successful than what they're doing right now. I don't know if it should though. You know, you always, you always talk about those, those programs, like your, your Kansas, your Oregon state, that all of these teams are at the bottom of their conference all the time. Maybe they should run the triple UConn. If if they stay in FBS, you know, if they right. jump, if they go down to right. FCS, they that might be more their speed. But if they're if they're trying to remain in in the F in the FBS, they should definitely consider dropping and uh, running the triple. I think you have to do something uh, to set yourself apart. I, I don't think you can play like this this normal game unless you have an extremely good coach and a good program. Uh, but even when you talk about schools like Kansas and Oregon State, like they're still power five teams. Uh, they still have power five money in some ways. And there is there is the opportunity to grow as like being a power five team. And Kansas does have a good basketball program, which might segue them into being in the Big Ten. So there's that. But um, Connecticut, not really so much there the, the other thing to point out is i joked about them opting out of 2021 they didn't play at all and they didn't play at all last year so yeah that's going to be an early microscope of if taking an entire year off to plan and scheme mm-hmm. and bond or i mean teams that played during covid didn't have that much much chance to bond but it's going to be interesting to to follow those teams that completely opted out of the season to see if there's any, any tangible results on the field that could be attributed to their lack of playing a year ago. Yeah. I I feel like, you know, they might come out flat. And the only reason I say that is because looking at some of the rookies in the NFL right now that opted out of last season, they're kind of struggling to get back on the field. Uh, It's not as easy as in transition as some of the other players that played last year. Jamar Chase is having some struggles. Uh, Panay Sewell is having some struggles as well. So, and those were, you know, blue chip prospects that sat the season out. So I wonder how it's going to affect some of these teams. Um, The other conversation that can be had around that as well is like, how does that affect teams that only played like two games last year or three games? Like some of the PAC 12 teams that barely played any games versus some of the SEC teams that played a full slate and more. So, right. Like, like Cal played four games last year and their last game, they beat Oregon and that ended that, that, that was their only win, I believe. And that, that was their last game. And they can, that, that team talks about like, that's what we were supposed to be. Yes. Because before COVID Cal was, I, I was very high on Cal going into last year before things got shaken up. Because that that defense under under Wilcox was supposed to be really good, and you just you just kind of wonder 
about some of those teams kind of stuck in the stuck stuck in the wash. Right. They just kind of gotten forgot about uh, through last year. So it's going to be interesting to see. And, you know, sticking it over to the to the Pac-12, uh, UCLA and Hawaii is the next game. UCLA being 18 point favorites, pretty, uh, pretty standard there. I'm, I'm taking Fresno in the other game, just okay. by virtue of them playing UConn. Okay. I mean, yeah, the, the odds are heavily in your favor. Uh, so UCLA, what are, what are they doing? Where are they going? You know, like they didn't like their record didn't show that much progress last year, but I think there's a lot of reason for optimism I don't know how much you can attribute, you can put stock into a team switching their their branding up, mm-hmm. but the fact that we're going to see UCLA Powder Blues with the Jordan Jumpman on it here this weekend, like that, that gets me excited. Yeah, and I don't, I really think a lot of the microscopes in the Pac-12 are going to be on USC. And everybody believing that the Pac-12 is a better league when USC is the the lead face. But I, I think this year it could be really interesting if UCLA is able to pick up the uh, the totem and be the face of LA. And if you're the face of LA, you're probably the face of the Pac-12. Right. I mean, they so, they can do it. Uh, yeah. And, and they have, you know, they have the money to do it. They have Dorian Thompson Robinson, uh, the offense starting to work and like their 2020 version of their offense, you know, cranks like 455 yards a game, 35 points a game, but they were three and four. So um, record, not too good, but the PAC 12 last year as a whole, it's really hard to look at last year's PAC 12 and like assess what's going to happen this year. Right. Um, I think, I think UCLA is really going to benefit from having this game because yes. LSU comes to town. And I, I mean, we'll talk about that game, but I think that is probably in terms of anxious fan bases, I don't think you can get much more anxious than that matchup. Oh, I agree. Um, I think once, I think getting a week zero game in general is good especially when you're slated against a team that you're probably going to win. It's just, you just get more momentum quicker. You know, week Absolutely. One, week zero to week one, week one to week two. The first, the first game versus the second game you play is usually coaches talk about that all the time. It's like when you see the most improvement mm-hmm. uh, across the team, whatever. So yeah, I think but it I, is, it's, it's somewhat of an advantage uh, for a lot of these teams to be playing this weekend. Yeah. I really, I like, I like UCLA obviously big in this game. I think it's really going to be good for a lot of their guys to get meaningful reps and mm-hmm. what's a, probably at this point a glorified preseason game on national television for a, for a blue blood. Yeah. And, and like you say, next week, LSU is coming to town. Uh, that game is going to be at eight 30 on the Saturday. Uh, so we're going to see that. And you know, going, you know, going back to, you know, UCLA as a brand. Both of the LA schools showed out in the NCAA tournament. Well, obviously, you know, UCLA being in the Final Four, 
this is really the next opportunity to see the school on the big stage. And like, they could really, I, I just the, the long-term trajectory of that school and its athletics, like they could really snatch LA from the Trojans here. I agree. And I think it's, I think it's funny too, that, uh, that, you know, their basketball team went to the final four with, uh, with no logo, no brand. They had, since they lost the deal with, with Under Armour, they had no Under Armour logo on their Jersey and players could wear whatever shoes they wanted to wear. It was just, it was funny. It was weird. I don't think I've seen that before recently. I didn't even know that. That's wild. I didn't even realize If you go back and watch, uh, UCLA in the tournament, whole tournament, no, no Under Armour patch. They were the same jerseys as Under Armour makes, same wow. template and everything, but no patch on the jersey. So, uh, shout out Johnny Juzang. Yeah, they just looked like a, they looked like a high school team, and it's gonna be funny because they went from like that, looking like a high school team, no logo, not being sponsored, to then getting Jordan, which is like the pinnacle right now of like what you want to be sponsored by, whether people argue whatever jordan is like top of the line so it is is it a correlation that uh ucla being on the rise being able to steal the la spot is also kind of on par with you know uh, you know ucla is a powder blue school um the chargers are powder blue uh they can steal la away from the rams justin herbert's on the rise as well is la going to be a powder blue city after this season that's a great, that's a great point. You know, I think, I think I'm, I'm optimistic on what I saw from Herbert and, you know, LA in many ways is I think still trying to find its way as a football city, as it relates to the pro teams. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you could, you could make the case that LA is going to be powder blue yeah. at the end of the year. In a weird way, because you look, you take a look 10 years ago and, uh, you know, Chargers are in San Diego, USC is running the show, and Rams aren't even there. You think about how people say, oh, college football is better when Miami is good or Texas Texas is is good good. or USC is good. USC is unique because they're not the only school in their city. And given that city is Los Angeles – but still it and but it is unique though because there's no other city with that dynamic right there's no other city with those with with teams of that caliber schools that are that big competing in the same market for all the same sports doing the same thing same brand it's very it's very unique there's nothing else like it um the closest thing that i can think of Oh man, probably have to be Miami and FIU. And the only reason I say that is because both of them are in Dade County and FIU beat Miami like two years it was last it was two years ago. That was a cool game because FIU was wearing 305 like plates on their helmets, and then they beat Miami, which is like Miami walks out with a 305 chain and like gets beat by a smaller school. So I but I don't think there's any other city that has that type of dynamic between two big power five schools like that. Yeah. It's, it's kind of unheard of. So yeah. I mean, if, if DTR can make that next jump up and be a top quarterback in the PAC 12 and just give positive media out to 
the West Coast. I think I think UCLA could find themselves in the national conversation for yeah, probably maybe probably not the playoff, but they could be in the discussion late in the year. I agree. And it wasn't too long ago that uh, DTR was the second ranked quarterback in his class behind Justin Fields. So, but that class in general had a lot of weird dual quarterbacks. Fields or Kovac was four. Uh, Adrian Martinez was seven. Um, Jerkovic's about to be the next uh, sleeper NFL prospect. Yeah, he might be, but he also might be another like mid-level kind of guy. I don't know. He's getting a lot of hype. So is also so is Boston College as a whole. But we will talk about that later on. So moving forward, the next game. Okay, so you're obviously picking UCLA to beat Hawaii, and so am I. Yeah, I think it's going to be good for them to prepare for a marquee game. And so, okay, let's let's just uh, let's just do a little foreshadowing of that marquee game. Do you think it's going to be a close game between LSU and UCLA, or do you think it's going to be kind of a blowout? I could see. I I honestly like. I don't know what that home crowd. You could say this for a lot of games. You don't. I mean, we know fans are going to be back to some degree. Yeah, but it's also but LA. There's still there's still a lot of awkwardness around fans and stadiums, and it is LA, so it's not it's not going to be a, a passionate crowd. It's going to probably be a bunch of casual mm-hmm. casual fans and LSU fans that have made the trip. So I could see you know UCLA rolling in with uh, some steam from this this weekend's matchup, maybe getting up fourteen. 17 nothing yeah and lsu weathers the storm and uh it's a close game later on so i i think it's close either way i agree i think it's i think it's interesting at the very least um and it's good to see that matchup play out right so yeah i'm excited for that uh moving forward to the next game we have utep at new mexico state at 9 30 so the weird thing about this week zero is that uh, we have a hole in the schedule uh, between 3.30 and 9.30. The UCLA game's at 3.30, New Mexico State game at 9.30. Uh, but UTEP in, in New Mexico State, what are your, what are your thoughts here? I don't, have a, I don't have any pressing New Mexico State thoughts, but I'm really interested in UTEP. You know, I know that's a very hard place to recruit to, but there's just something about UTEP that really interests me and I wouldn't I wouldn't want to sign up to go down and fix that program and make it nationally relevant but mm-hmm. you know it's it's interesting and I think I think that coaches in their uh, first or second or second or third year at the helm and it's it's interesting to see kind of where UTEP is in the pecking order because they're in Texas, so they're obviously going to be strengthened by the state they're in. You know, we talk about we talk about UConn not being able to remain relevant and stay afloat, and it's probably because they're in Connecticut. But UTEP is able to at least remain a FBS program because they're in Texas, right? So i i could i could I could see. Uh, I, I'm taking UTEP in that game. 
Yeah, UTEP <laughs> is nine and a half point favorites in this game. Uh, and I think I think they're going to walk away with a win too. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I think – do you think UTEP has a shot this year at doing anything in their conference? No. And I no, agree with I would, I would, I'd, I'd pick, I'd pick Texas State or UTSA to make noise more than UTEP. But I think the long-term trajectory and viability of that program as a as a football institution is very interesting. And I, yes, I don't know enough about the man in charge to uh, make a judgment on whether he's the guy or not, but. I agree. Can we talk about how interesting it is that UTEP is playing Old Dominion this year and it's at UTEP, which is very far away from Old Dominion. Uh, it might be three time zones away from Old Dominion. That, which that, is sounds, far. That, sound, that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, that seems like a trip that maybe Baylor or one of the other big 12 schools might have to take when they, if they, if big, if, if there is a Texas school that enters the ACC. So my question to you around all this conference realignment stuff is if a Texas school enter the ACC, who would it be and why, and what makes the most sense? Well, I, I don't think any, any Texas school, would enter the ACC outside of, you know, the the easiest the easiest answer is Houston, just to give the ACC an entry point into Texas. But you 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 look beyond Houston, and you've got religious schools and academic schools, yeah. none of none of which really fit the bill of the ACC. And so I, I think, you know, Houston is a major metropolitan area. And I think if the ACC is wanting to kind of go to war with the SEC over markets, I think Houston would make the most sense for them. But Houston isn't really helping themselves by being an attractive brand right now. I agree. Uh, I do think it's pivotal, though, for the ACC to get some sort of market share in Texas. Um, and I agree. I think Houston would make the most sense out of all of them. I have some people, I have seen some people talk about a TCU or a Baylor. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but it just reminded me of that because, you know, looking at old dominion flying over to UTEP uh, for yeah. a game in the middle of so, October. So, so Dana Demel, is the head coach of UTEP who's actually been there a lot longer than I thought he's been there three years. He's got a record of five and 27. And, you know, I, I, if they have another bad year, I can see them obviously moving on from this guy, but it, you know, we talked about Scott Frost being the native son of Nebraska come to fix the program. Mm Mm-hmm for some of these smaller programs like UTEP, is there a guy like that that exists that can come back that knows how the program should be, should be run? Um, I would love to have an answer for that. If we did like a deep dive on UTEP and I was about to ask you a similar question about 
I want to do a deep dive on UTEP. Yeah. What, what, what goes into resurrecting UTEP? How can that happen? Do you think that it has to be somebody within the school or could it be a, I don't know, a Buzz Williams-esque type of person that goes around to some garbage programs and resurrects them and then leaves? Uh, like, do you think it, do you think it can be one or the other? Or do you think it has to be somebody from the school? Honestly, I could see, you know, I don't think it could be, would be a bad option for UTEP to go maybe the high school coach route and hire a high school coach that knows Texas. the area. Yeah. It, but I don't think you're ever going to, you're ever going to hear this, uh, hear this term in, in college football, but if UTEP could work the border, that could be interesting. And they're in a prime position to do that. Absolutely. Wise. Um, that would be interesting in terms of how that works. I don't really know the logistics of that in terms of offers and whatever. But one thing I will say about hiring a coach from Texas is you're going to be most likely hiring a coach into worse facilities, uh, especially if you're getting them from a successful Texas program. Texas programs are known for their mega stadiums and indoor practice facilities. And they probably have a lot of shit that UTEP doesn't have. Uh, they might even have more money than UTEP has. So getting somebody from the home area is not going to be easy. Uh, the other question is like, a lot of people are going to ask why, like, why would you want to go build a football program in El Paso? Uh, like, can you answer that question? I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. really know the answer to that. You mean you're, that's why you got to try and find those local kids around the area that are bought in but you know yeah, but if you're, they, if, you're they, if you're a local kid in that area if you're a local kid in texas wouldn't you just be a like how would you be bought into utep because the sun bowl is cool <laughs> i do agree it is sweet but there's I, I, so many schools in texas and they're just like they might be bottom of like that barrel in texas Oh, I absolutely, I absolutely think they're the bottom of the barrel, but I think they're in the, in big people talk too much about you, uh, El Paso being a hard place to recruit to unlike San Antonio or Las Cruces elsewhere in Texas to the point where somebody can spin it and make it an attractive place to, yeah, I to agree. recruit. It's, it's, but- it's not not ideal. In terms I'm taking I'm taking I'm taking UTEP. Oh, easily. We are riding the miners high right now. Yes. Riding the miners for week zero. After that, we're probably not going to be on the miners train, but at least for week zero. And so to cap off week zero at night, we have Southern Utah at San Jose State at ten o'clock. Going to be going on pretty much the same time as the UTEP game. Uh, you might end up seeing the, the Southern Utah game over the UTEP game because it's on CBS and the UTEP game is going to be on Bally sports. So if you don't have Bally sports, uh, you might not be able to watch that game. So, but for, first, what are your, what are your initial, initial reactions to? So I actually have a lot of San Jose. I have, I have actually a lot of thoughts on San Jose state. And I remember reading an article about, their coach Brent Brennan a couple of years ago, and it would basically build him as the next PJ Fleck. 
And, you know, I kind of, you know, San Jose state was kind of down at that point. And so I just kind of read that filed it, whatever, whatever, but they were one of the, they were one of the good stories uh, this past year in college football amid all the chaos of the 2020 season, you know, with uh, their journeyman quarterback, Nick Starkle, who I think he started at A&M and then he was at Arkansas and now he's at San Jose state. And now I think he's back for what would this be his fifth or sixth year as a, as a quarterback. But the thing I want to point out about San Jose state is was last year, the right time for Brennan to bolt to another job. You know, I think he was in consideration for the Arizona job. Didn't take it. And now, now he's back at San Jose State and, you know, they're ready to run it back. But you kind of look at some of those G5 coaches mm-hmm. when that when that job is there, you know, obviously he didn't have the right job there. And obviously, you know, he there very could be an opening this year. But if they don't do well this year, you could start asking yourself if he missed his shot. Yeah. Um... And a guy, a guy that missed his shot was Seth Luttrell at North Texas a couple of years ago, you know, North Texas was, was a very good program. And I think Luttrell was a hot, hot name for the Kansas state job. I kind of wanted him to get the Kansas state job. He didn't get it stayed at North Texas. And now North Texas is an afterthought in their conference and trending in the wrong direction. And he's still there and he could end up getting fired after being in consideration for a power five job. And so I just, I just kind of like to point that out with San Jose state because it's great that they had a great year, but at the end of the day, it was the COVID year. It was yes. the mountain West in a COVID year. And you they, can't, you can't really, you can't really put a thermometer on. Yeah. On that long, the long-term viability of that program, you know, it would be great if they're, if they're, if they're good again, but the reality is you can't sustain that kind of success at a, at a program. And you just kind of wonder if Brendan missed his opportunity. I agree. So uh, this is, this is interesting right here with San Jose state and kind of similar to UCLA in a way, but city of LA is going to have a lot of football come week two. And what I mean by that is USC is playing San Jose state week one. Uh, And so with San, and that's going to be at USC. So there's going to be two games week one in LA that are interesting. Um, I think there's a very real chance that San Jose state can, uh, can upset USC and that being that going on the same night as LSU coming to town for UCLA is going to be interesting too. We're just creating that narrative for the Bruins to come in and be everybody's darling. They could be powder blue all over that weekend Yep, in LA powder blue everywhere. But they have San Jose State does have an interesting schedule because they play Western Michigan, who, like we talked about beforehand, might be a decent team. Might be the class of the MAC. Mm-hmm. That 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 you know, I don't think people are talking about the San like San Jose. You know, I just kind of I just kind of downplayed their twenty twenty, but not enough people are talking about them opening up at USC. You know, I think the game that's getting all of the uh, the spotlight for the week one G five at a power five is obviously Lafayette uh, at Texas, Texas. but but San Jose state's another interesting draw. Yeah. I think, I think starting out the season against 
a G5 team that can very that can definitely beat you is not a fun place to start out as a power five team that is looking to get on its feet. Because if USC loses to San Jose state, uh, well, that's first of all, maybe bad for the SC for the PAC 12, but that's also going to be really bad for USC. Um, and we've seen this happen before with other programs that play that open up with G five teams. Um, so if that happens, then USC is going to be looking pretty bad for the rest of the year. So do you think that USC is primed to take rain? Can they do it? Or do you think they are going to do it? No, I don't think this is the year. I, 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 I think Oregon is going to be the you know, actually, no. U.S. the the Pac-12 is and always will be USC's for the taking, but Oregon has the momentum, and Oregon can steal it from USC and become the face of the Pac-12, depending on how the next few years go. Yes. You know, uh, all all things considered, with all of the negative attention USC has gotten from just the the fact that Clay Helton is just an average Joe at a very nationally relevant college football program. They recruited very well this past year, considering they had plummeted the year prior. Yeah. They had that awful class uh, where I think they had only like one skill player on the, in the class. I'm excited. I'm excited to see Corey Foreman suit up for them. Yeah. And just trying to see if they can ride if they if they aren't nationally relevant in the win column this year, they could still be fun to watch because of their top recruits. And if that's the case, they can parlay that into another strong recruiting cycle and then look to compete again in 22. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is their schedule across the board is is not very hard. Uh, you know, it's 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 San Jose State to open then Stanford. Washington State, Oregon State, Colorado, Utah. That probably is the first one that I've named that might be a difficult game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it went. It goes Utah, then Notre Dame. So those two back-to-back, if they win both of those games, they're going to be looking at going to the, the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, then Arizona, Arizona State, Cal, UCLA, BYU. So do are we gonna are we going to see the Oregon – USC Pac-12 championship. I hope so. Yeah. I'd like inevitably, inevitably, the second best team will upset the team that everybody thinks will win. Yeah, but. that's what always happens. Uh, that would be an interesting matchup because you get to see Corey Foreman against Oregon's offense, and then you get to see Kayvon Thibodeau against USC's offense. Um and also, not to mention that Oregon might have the best linebacking unit in all of college football next year with Justin Flo and Penny Swell's younger brother, Noah Swell. So that would be interesting to see. I'm excited. Um, I, I do think that is most likely what's going to happen in the Pac-12. If it doesn't happen, though, what do you think will happen? I think Arizona State comes out of nowhere amid all of their off the field drama. Yeah. 
which could be funny in a way because I think they're staring down a pretty severe NCAA punishment. But if they're able to put together a dream season before the punishment comes down, nobody's nobody's really going to pay attention to that. And so, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm really interested to see if Jaden Daniels can make that jump his receiver room was kind of has been kind of cleared out the last few years, but there's, there's a reason for optimism there, but this, this is before Arizona state was muddled by all this off field stuff. This was the year for them. Yes. And so now it's kind of that, it's kind of that thing where they've been downplayed and counted out because of the things going on off the field that makes you think, okay, well then this has to be the year. Right. People are ignoring them amid all of this drama. So we'll see, but I, I think I, if I, they, I think if they come out of nowhere, they're going to come like hard out of nowhere. Like if they come out of nowhere, they're going to be insanely good. Uh, and it's going to be a weird storyline. I think whatever way you slice it, whoever comes out on top of the pack 12 this year is likely going to be there for a multi-year reign. You know, whether, if it's USC, then that just shows, okay, USC is the, is the class of this conference and they are, they are here to take their throne. You know, if it's Oregon, then what Cristobal has been doing is affirmed and they're, they capitalize on their recruitment. If it's Arizona state, then it's wow. The sun devils have arrived. But then right if, now, do you think that, that's bad for the, do you think that's bad for the PAC 12? If Arizona state comes out of nowhere, wins it and then gets NCAA sanctioned. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that would be pretty bad because if that happens, Herm is that whole staff is probably gone. Yeah. Herm is probably gone, and then you're kind of at at square one, and then you're gonna then you're gonna lose Daniels to the to the draft probably. Yeah, he's probably gonna go after this year. I'm assuming if yeah. he has a good year, um, he might stick around, but. With the way that quarterbacks are being drafted, I would assume that he's going to go up. And yeah. we could talk about quarterbacks for an entire episode. But uh, I think it, the best, I think the best thing for the Pac-12 is that USC has a good year. UCLA has an above average to a good year. Oregon maybe wins the wins the Pac-12. And the best thing for the Pac-12 is that whoever wins the Pac-12 goes to the playoff because what they end up doing most of the time, like we talked about before, is the underdog usually wins the Pac-12 championship and then screws them out of going to the playoffs. Happens every single year, it seems. So they need to figure out a way to get their best teams showcased in the playoffs. And whether that's Oregon being the best team in the conference or USC going on a tear, I think it's got to happen. Because if, if there is a year, it's this year. With the rest of college football, uh, you have so many quarterbacks coming in replacing star talent. And this is the year for the Pac-12 to kind of come back in and solidify themselves as like, hey, we're a Power 5 conference. Don't forget about us. Absolutely. And you and we haven't even talked about Washington and all this mix. Yeah. No. I Do you think Washington – is going to be a – I don't know. It's it's hard to say what they're going to be right now, but I think they could be like a solid like three, four team as of right now. 
it's funny. It's it's funny just to see how unique every coach's year zero was because, you know, Jimmy Jimmy Lake, he, I believe he was three and one. They were going to go to the Pac-12 title game. They couldn't because of COVID, so Oregon was swapped in. But it was going to be Washington. Mm-hmm. But then it, it, it's interesting because you see kind of all these these coaches with the year zeros, they kind of have a lot more hype going into their first year per se than I think a lot of second year coaches would. You see it with, with uh, the momentum with uh, Washington and then Boston college and Florida state. But yeah, I think it's the PAC 12 needs, needs a power to carry to carry that, to carry their brand, but then to also be kind of the, the measuring stick for the rest of the, of the league, because you kind of need, if you, if you want to be, if, if, if UCLA is good and USC is the measuring stick, don't you want to beat them when they're the best? Yes. But you, so, need, you need a measuring stick. And I think, right. like, not having a face in the playoff, not having a consistent power, it, you're just, like, it's it's hard to gauge these teams because you're not seeing them against powerful right. teams that are in the playoffs. And that yeah. and that's, like, they've just been screwing themselves out of that these past couple of years. I mean, Utah had a shot, didn't go. Uh, and it's, like – they got to put them in. I think a huge game, I think a massive game for the Pac-12, and I think this is going to be the most interesting game in week two for me, is the Washington-Michigan game. And so as a Michigan fan, what are your thoughts on that, and how do you think that's going to shape up? From a pessimistic Michigan fan's perspective, that is the one game, home game, I would like to go to. I have been telling everybody, if Michigan is bad, you will not know because it's week two and it's a night game and all the fans will be optimistic. They will hopefully have beaten Western at that point and be one and zero. and hopefully the optimism lasts until halftime. You know, if Washington jumps on them and gets out to an early lead, the, the maze out might be, uh, might be only lasting for a couple quarters, but I'm not, I'm not too high on Michigan this year. But I think the atmosphere for that game is going to be absolutely sensational because the big house will be rocking. Mm-hmm. The home 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 crowd will be will be loud. And you might look at Michigan at the end of the year and they might that might be they might be a three, four, five win team. Yeah. Um, I think that game is massive. And like talk about their fans being there. There wasn't any fans there last year, and Michigan has one of the most passionate in-person fan bases, one of the loudest stadiums, great atmosphere, especially at night. Uh, it could also be one of those games too, where Michigan could win and start this hype train of, Oh, we're actually really good. And yep. I don't know how that, I don't know how long that would last um, just because of the environment. But I think the environment in general across all of college football is going to dictate a lot more than we think. Um Absolutely. Fans coming back and, and stadiums and the the noise. I think that's going to have a bigger effect than most people think. Uh, I think there was a lot of games last year that 
could have gone a different way if there were fans there. Um, and there was also some games that were the same because of fans. A lot of the SEC had a lot of fans there. There were some games in the SEC that we watched that we were like, okay, they're just not even following COVID protocol. But there's then there's teams like Michigan and Michigan State that did not have fans all year. I don't think Ohio State had fans either. Um, yeah, something so- something to point out that the the solid verbal talked about uh, in their fantasy things podcast this week is the fact that some of these middle tier programs you're not even going to tell that the fans are back because nobody goes to the games in the first place yeah like this illinois game this weekend do we even know if the students are back on campus you might not even be that that game might be empty well and illinois games are pretty empty before covid anyway exactly exactly you might not you got you got to tell people to go back that they can actually go into the games right uh some teams are going to are going to have an actual advantage some teams aren't like you said uh and that's the thing about the Pac-12 too is that like their best teams the USC even the UCLA like if they're good like LA is not that type of passionate for their college football teams uh and I think that's what's different about them is like you go into a Bama you go into an LSU you go into a Michigan Penn State at night like the atmosphere is overwhelming for the opposing team. And like, you just don't get that as a PAC 12 team. Right. You know, if USC is good, you might see a couple celebrities on the sideline. Yeah. Snoop Dogg's maybe, there hanging out. Maybe Ron will be there, but that's, that's all, that's all you get with a, with an LA night game in prime time is you, a couple celebrities show up and yep, the rest of the crowd shows up because maybe there's a high number next to one of the teams. Yeah. I think the apex for LA games is uh, if you, if you remember the, I think it was 2018 or 2019 when the chiefs played the Rams when the Rams were really good. It was that Monday night or Sunday night game in LA when they were playing, I forget what stadium they were playing in at the time. It was before. So that was, it was the Coliseum. It was the Coliseum. Yeah. That was, that, that, was, game, that was a Monday nighter. Yeah. It was like, it, I think it ended as like 52 to 49. But that crowd there yep. was what LA needs every Absolutely. single week. That, yep, that's that's what it can be. And it's just I feel like it just never is that for some reason. Right. Right. And that's what's frustrating as I mean, as somebody who wants the Pac twelve to be a good conference. Right. And and now more than ever with conference realignment and SEC becoming even more powerful, the Pac twelve needs to be good it needs to be on brand it needs to be a threat it needs to be some a, a conference that can and does send teams to the playoff every year that can compete right so but that does wrap up our week zero slate uh, nothing too crazy interesting i would have liked a little bit better but it is still good was it that miami uh wasn't the Miami LSU game a couple of years back a week zero game? I know. I don't know. That was uh that was a Sunday night game. That was a standalone. That, that was, was a standalone. standalone game. Okay. Have there been any better matchups? Any marquee matchups on a week zero? No, but I bet it's coming. You think so soon? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, wasn't Miami, Florida week zero? Yeah, you said yeah, you yeah. said L- you said LSU, but I remember LSU Miami being a week one game. But no, I no, yeah, two years ago, I'm, yes, yeah, I'm there's, pretty sure yeah. there was a Miami game. 
Yes, it was that one because that was the Felipe Franks game where he went up to the camera and he was like, I do this, pointed at the camera, and then threw a pick six in the next play. Yep. Very, very Felipe Franks. Shout out Felipe Franks. Uh, he had a great run in a preseason game. Yep. Uh, he's, he's doing his, his thing where he just gives hope and then crushes you immediately after. So don't be surprised if he doesn't make the three-man roster. Yep. But um, do we have anything else? No, I got nothing. Got nothing so far. All right. This was our pilot episode. Um, shout out to anybody listening. We appreciate it. And uh, we're going to keep working and, and figure out a name that is, that is next on the shopping block. And then we're going to start going deeping, diving deeper into some of our topics that we have already. So that is all. Right on. Any last words, Sam? We got no final thoughts. No final thoughts. All right. We're out of here. <laughs>